Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you happy? So happy to be here today. Please take your seats. It is always a joy for us to come to this church and minister in this church. This is, this is like home for us, and uh, we love coming here. We love Ross and Mary and the family, and uh, we love you. And it's always exciting to see God move in the house. And I, and I love the, the worship in this church, the way you engage the presence of God. I always get touched by the presence of God during the worship time, and, and uh, I get blessed when I come here, and uh, so it's just so wonderful to be here. As you've heard, uh, we've just come back from Kenya just a few weeks back, and uh, in fact, I was just thinking when I was going to sleep last night that I haven't been here uh, since early last year. So in fact, I've been twice to Africa uh, since I was here last, and uh, last year, I went to Kenya. I went to Kenya the year before, uh, to Tanzania, sorry. I went to Tanzania also the year before. God's given me the incredible privilege of coaching evangelists who have been trained through the ministry of Reinhard Bonnke uh, and Daniel Kalenda. And uh, these guys, these guys and girls, they're on fire for the Lord. But I take them into Africa and I coach them doing crusades. Uh, like I'm the lead evangelist, but they're all preaching and, and we're having an amazing time. So last year, in Tanzania. We just did three crusades. Fiona came with me. You might remember the story that I got. She couldn't come with me the year before, and I got stuck out of the country and all that. But last year, she came with me, and we did three crusades, and we saw 85,000 people come to the Lord, which is incredible. Uh, I wanted to touch on that because I'm going to show you one of those crusades in a moment. But also, uh, this year, we went together. Fiona came for six weeks. I stayed on for 10 weeks. We did five crusades. So I, I had uh, five teams of evangelists. There was 23 people in all that I was coaching and that were part of the teams that we had there. And uh, maybe you could start throwing up some of the pictures because we did... We did uh, the schools before we did the Crusades, the main part of the Crusades. And so the pictures are going to come up there any moment now. And uh, you'll see them. I'm pretty sure of that. And uh, it was nighttime, the first one that we did. And so it, it was really good. But uh, anyway, so we did 527 outreaches in the schools, which look like this. When, the, when it's daytime, all right? And uh, an amazing, amazing time. We also, at the, we did not just the schools, we did uh, fire conferences with pastors and leaders. I'll come back to that in a moment, which is, is, is something that's very exciting. And what's wrong with the thing? Okay, sorry. So, so we did the, the schools, we did what we call pop-up crusades, so we'd go into villages, we'd go into uh, marketplaces, I can't remember how many we did, 20 or something of those, and, uh, and we went into 52 churches, uh, we, we, we were working together in each town with up to 70 churches, so they'd all come together, all the pastors and leaders had come together from those towns, and we had just a phenomenal time working together with all of them, and uh, it's just incredible. 
incredible what God has done. So not last year we saw, uh, as I said, 85,000 salvations in three, three crusades, three towns. This year in the five towns, in fact, it was more than five towns because two of them were border towns. So we were on both sides of the border, which is a town on each side. Here we go. So this is just fly through these quickly. So these are the these are the schools that we're speaking in primary schools, secondary schools, and the incredible thing is, look how many receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Literally 90% of them are saying yes to Jesus and receiving the Lord, and uh, it's just a phenomenal, exciting thing. We pray for them, receive the Holy Spirit, and some of them are getting powerfully touched by God, and uh, it's just beautiful to see that happen. And some of these schools are huge, up to a couple of thousand kids in the schools. And uh, it's just amazing being a part of this and seeing God bringing in such a phenomenal harvest. And so this is what happens, just straight up, this is what happens when we leave the school. And that literally is louder than standing in front of a jet plane. And you've got 2,000 kids screaming one way, Jesus, in your ear. It's, it's phenomenal. And uh, they're very excited. So that's, that's the schools. And then this will give you a little bit of a taste of what it's like in the crusade meetings. So uh, they're pretty wild. We have a good time. And uh, as you can see, there's just a lot of dancing, a lot of celebration. Everyone gets excited. And uh, God's moving there. We preach the gospel. Thousands of people get saved and people getting healed. Phenomenal healing testimonies and everything. So it's just wonderful. So that, that was one this year. Now I wanted to show you quickly one from last year. And this is the crusade in Mafinga last year, which was a pretty pretty awesome crusade. Uh, God moved in a mighty way. There are 32,000 salvations or something in that town. It was pretty amazing. So it just gives you a little bit of an idea of what we're doing. So I'm directing these crusades. I'm preaching these crusades, coach, coaching evangelists. God's moving. We're having a great time. And it's awesome. So praise God, eh? But as I said, uh, we also do a fire conference. So the crusade is five days. The fire conference is three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And this is for pastors, leaders, workers, and basically anyone who just wants more of God. And uh, the reason we do this is because I want the churches to be in revival when we put the souls into the churches. I want the churches to be on fire. And literally on the last day of the fire conference, each evangelist, all of the evangelists, I let them loose in the room along with myself, and we lay hands on every single person that's there. And i got to tell you something. You just see God break out in a phenomenal way. I mean, people are just smashed out. Chairs are broken. The place is just wild. It's just awesome uh, seeing God move in those fire conferences. And so when I come back to Australia, uh, I don't get to do the big crusades, but I, but I can bring the same spirit that we see in the fire conferences into the churches in this nation and it's my heartbeat and I know it's the heartbeat of this church to see revival, to see God breaking out, to see see an extraordinary move of the Spirit of God across our nation. Are you with me on that? Amen. Let me just crack this. 1924, an Australian evangelist by the name of Molly Ayers went to the home of an evangelist called A.C. Valdez, who was personally impacted by the Azusa Street revival when he was a child. And Moliers came to his house in Modesto, California, knocked on his door. When he opened the door, she basically laid hands on him straight away and began to prophesy that God has called you to Australia to minister to my people. 
when he got himself up off the floor, he, uh, he felt that it was the Lord because God had already been speaking to him about Australia. But he said, Lord, you're going to have to provide the finances. And miraculously, within a few days, someone had given a gift that was enough money for him to take his entire family, including his mother-in-law. And uh, so it's a good thing. And so they could travel together. And that night, he had a dream of a ship called the Monganui, which, uh, if you know anything about the Maori language, that's a ship that's named in New Zealand. And it was a ship leaving from, Los uh, from, from San Francisco, coming to Melbourne, Australia, via New Zealand, via Wellington in New Zealand. And so on the ship, they came and stopped off at Wellington on the way. In fact, they were just going to be in, in the dock for a night, but AC Del Valdez was surprised to see a great commotion, a great celebration on the dock. He thought there must have been a celebrity on the boat. He thought there must have been a politician or a movie star or something on the boat because there, there was a marching band. There was everything, but it turned out it was the, the New Zealand church, and they were there because they'd heard AC Valdez was on the boat, and they they invited him to come to a banquet that evening, and then they compelled him to stay in New Zealand for the next six months instead of going on to Australia. So he stayed in New Zealand, and he did revival meetings in Wellington and in some other cities in the South Island. And during that time, they say the move of the Spirit of God was on par with the, the meetings that Smith Wigglesworth had done a few years earlier. So God did an incredible thing in New Zealand because they had compelled him to stay there. And then uh, A.C. Valdez went on to, to Melbourne and went first of all to the church of Molly Ayres, which was called Gospel Hall. And uh, they had a little bit of a difference of theology, so it didn't kind of work out. And, and it was a little bit of a discouraging time for him, though that he began to seek the Lord. And while he was seeking the Lord, the Lord told him he had to go to sunshine. And so he went outside and stood in the sunshine. And uh, then his mum comes out and says, we need to go to sunshine. He says, yeah, no, I'm in the sunshine. She said, no, we need to go to it's a suburb in Melbourne, and uh, he'd been invited to go to this suburb in Melbourne uh, to, a, to a, a little church that had been going there for a little bit of time, um, started in, and it was in the Sunshine Hall, right? And uh, so I can't remember Parnham, I think it was, the guy that was the Australian guy that was um, started these meetings. Anyway, so they... they, they did a series of meetings which became famous and known as the Sunshine Revival. And the Sunshine Hall was very quickly too small. They moved from there to the Parnham Hall. That was too small. And they moved from there to the Richmond Temple, which at the time was called the Richmond Theatre, a 1,200-seat auditorium. They took up an offering on a Sunday night and bought the entire building. So if you can imagine, I mean, back in the day, it was 6,000 pounds, which the equivalent today would be, you know, probably six million dollars or something like that but they bought the building and but that became too small very quickly and they moved to the Olympia theater and they had thousands of people every night in that building God moving so significantly he said it was some of the the most incredible uh 
meetings that he had ever seen, revival meetings that he'd ever seen. And there'd be times where people would be in the auditorium worshiping God and they'd hear a big crack across the roof of the auditorium and then just suddenly people would start shouting out all around the building I've been healed I've been healed and and just amazing miracles happening spontaneously with the visitation of the Spirit of God this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks there's one story told of a person who was coming to the revival had had chronic back issues, deformity, uh, a lot of pain, and, and was coming to the revival meeting, walked around the corner of the building and was hit in the head by a two-foot round ball of fire just on the way to church and was totally healed, totally healed. How awesome is that? A ball of fire hitting you in the head. So what we're going to do later on in the meeting is people who want hands laid on them, you come over to this side, we'll lay hands on you. If you want a ball of fire to hit you in your head, you can come and stand over this side and we'll, we'll pray for that to happen as well. Amen. But pretty awesome. So God broke out. That became known as the famous Sunshine Revival. Richmond Theatre became Richmond Temple, which is the first Assembly of God church in Australia, basically. And, uh, and that's Numa Church today, which Ross has just been. Did you go as well, Mary? Just So Ross, Ross and Matt have been down there just recently. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But uh, just phenomenal things uh, happened in Australia as a result of AC Valdez coming and bringing that, that spirit to the place. But it's interesting because over the next two years, AC Valdez went back to New Zealand and, and continued ministering in New Zealand and formed the New Zealand Assembly of God Church. And he was the very first ordained minister in the New Zealand Assemblies of God Church. And uh, amazing, amazing what happened there, what uh, God used him for in that place as well. And I'll also come back to that. You know, if you study church history, you'll discover that when there's times of political, social, financial crisis and natural disasters around the world, it creates fertile ground for a move of God because people are disturbed and people become desperate and they start crying out to God and leaning into God and believing God to move because they realize we need God to move. And it goes without saying in the last few years, the world has been tumultuous. There's been crazy stuff going on around the world in all sorts of different ways. But the upside of this is that God has used this times that we have been through restriction, frustration, lockdowns and shut-ups and all of that to take the church through a metamorphosis, to literally transform the life and the heart of the church, to give the church a brand new heart. You might remember, and, and we were just having a conversation, we're staying at the Ramada and I was staying at the, we were staying at the Ramada in 2019 and God and I was writing a message on the Saturday night in the Ramada to preach here on the Sunday morning about the new wine and and about how God has to make new wineskins in order to be ready for the new wine that's about to come this was the first church I preached that message in and God had given us that prophetically to preach it around many churches. And who knew that just a few months later, God was going to take the wineskin of the church and tip it out, squeeze it out and prepare a new wineskin for the new move of the Spirit of God. And you're going to be hearing more about the shape of the new wineskin that God is preparing the church 
to receive and handle everything that he is doing and about to do in the church in these days. See, the church has really realized we have we have to have God to move, you know. We've got to, we need the intervention of God. We're crying out to God. It's just the world's gone too crazy, right? And, and we need God to move. We want God to move. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm excited because the cry for revival is coming again back into the, the heart and the mouth of the church. And, and that excites me so much because that's been my passion for about 50 million years. All right. I don't know if you've heard an incredible song that's come out of YWAM Kona uh, in Hawaii. Uh, basically, it, this song's just recently been released, and it basically just says, We want revival now. <laughs> we want your spirit poured out, and we won't stop until we see it come. I mean, it's a rah-rah song, but it just, it's just says it all, and, and praise God for their tenacity. Amen. You'll probably hear more from Ross about this, but over the last couple of years, Pastor Corey Turner from Numa Church has been leaning into God and redigging the wells of revival that had broken out back there in the 20s. And as a result, in late August last year, they had uh, they were having a conference over the weekend, and on the Sunday morning, they in fact they call it Super Bowl Sunday because the Holy Spirit broke out in such a way that the normal Sunday morning service, which would be a couple of hours maybe ended up going all day right through and and melding melding melt you know joining into the evening service it became one big long service basically God moving in such a phenomenal way revival broke out in the church and uh, it's it stirred the whole hunger for revival in the nation of Australia. The winds of revival are beginning to blow around. Revival fires have been sparked, and there's different places where people are pressing into God, and God is moving, and they're, they're having little moves of God. We haven't seen full-blown revival happening yet, but we're seeing little moves of God, and, and people getting encouraged and stepping out and going out like they've not gone before. People are going out on the streets, and they're seeing God move mightily, and hundreds of people are getting saved out on the streets like never before and so it's just such an exciting day to be alive to see what God is doing amen if we were to interpret 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 46 in a prophetic context or as you could say a biblical principle where there it says first the natural and then the spiritual and then we're to look at recent world events we could expect that something extraordinary, something significant is about to happen in the spirit realm. Can you say amen? And even if we have a look at the weather patterns in Australia in, in recent times, particularly last year and into early this year, the relentless rains and widespread flooding across you know, East Africa, um, not Australia, East Australia and uh, Pretty much all of Australia, it ended up over in Perth as well, it ended up over in New Zealand, and now if you look on the news, many countries around the world are getting deluges, they're getting floods like they've never seen before, and I believe that we're about to be overwhelmed by a massive spiritual flood, amen. In fact, Isaiah 59 verse 19, some of you have probably heard that scripture quoted, when the enemy comes in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. But it appears recently that the, the enemy has come in like a flood or even with a flood in many places. But that's not the correct 
translation of that verse or the correct, uh, what, would you, what do you call it, um, punctuation. Yeah, in that verse, it should be when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. In fact, many translations don't even talk about an enemy in that verse. They say something like, For he, the Lord, will come like a pent-up stream or a raging flood driven along by the breath of the Lord. Wow, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? So what is a pent-up stream? It's, it's something, it's water that's been held back. It's something that's, that's dammed and is about to be a dam burst. The gates are about to open up and release something that God is about to do. And I believe the dam is about to burst. We are already seeing cracks in the dam. God is already breaking out in places in Australia. And I kind of got a feeling that this is going to be one of those places, you know. I, I think God's got something very significant for this church. I've always loved coming to this church because I know the heart of, of your pastors and I know the heart of this church is to see God move. And, uh, and I know God, that's, that's why God stirs your heart so much when you, you're here preaching on revival, Ross, because you're going to carry it. You're, you've got it in your heart. And, and I know God's going to move in a mighty way and maybe it might just happen today. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I tell you what, I've always said it. I don't want to hear about the next great revival that happens somewhere else. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> I want to be in the middle of it. Amen. I want to start it if I can. You know, so, I want to ride the face of the wave. I don't want to be tumbled along in the white water behind when everyone else is surfing the face. I want to, I want to be right out there going, woohoo, go Lord Jesus, and just seeing where he's taking this baby. It's going to be exciting. Amen. You know, if the, New the fledgling New Zealand church had not captured A.C. Valdez in 1924 and had him move around the nation and preach around the nation and bring that revival to New Zealand, New Zealand church may not have ever been birthed the way that it was birthed. They may not have had the Pentecostal churches of New Zealand. They may not have had the Assemblies of God of New Zealand. The New Zealand church might all be Mormons today had he not come, right? Had they not compelled him to stay. And I believe that we are in a Kairos moment right now. That we are in, if you understand what Kairos means, it's the strategic or the right time. It's an opportune point of time in which something must be done. I'm hearing people saying, you know, they're having prophecies that God's going to move, that this is a, a season for God to move, and they're having this attitude, oh, well, that's nice, let's wait and see what happens. That's not the way that you approach it. If you have an opportunity, you've got to grasp it. You've got to go after it. It's a divinely appointed moment that can be either grasped or lost. And as um, Leonard Ravenhill said, the opportunity of a lifetime must be grasped within the lifetime of the opportunity. So there is a great moment that we have right now. It's like God is poised, ready to move, and we've got to embrace it. We've got to go after it. We've got to grab God uh, in this occasion. So how many people here are ready to do a little bit of seizing? Give me a wave. Seizing a hold of what God's got for the church and for Australia. Um, it's going to be some... The question is, what does revival look like? Well, Arthur 
Wallace, who was the architect of the house church movement in the United Kingdom, which in itself was a bit of a revival back in the 50s, uh, he said this, and that um, revival is divine intervention in the normal course of spiritual things. It is God revealing himself to man in awesome holiness and irresistible power. It is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs are abandoned. It is, God, it is man retiring into the background because God has taken the field. It is the Lord working in extraordinary power on saint and sinner. Revival must, of necessity, make an impact on the community, and this is one means by which we may distinguish it from the more usual operations of the Holy Spirit. So when revival comes, it is amazing. It's extraordinary. It doesn't just impact the church. It impacts the whole city. It does something incredible. So the question is, how do we court, capture, and continue revival in our midst? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to tell you how to do it this morning. Okay, you ready? You know, because several times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find revivals. They're, They're all through Scripture. Old Testament kings and, you know, you had Dumb kings and good kings, you know, kings that turned away from God, and, and then there was a revival, and then when it was up and down like this, and in the New Testament, particularly, there's revival breaking out with Jesus and the Holy Ghost, and, and uh, you know, one particular revival c- contains all the ingredients the, and the characteristics of revival, and it's often been called the prototype or the pattern for revival, and this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and so we're going to have a look at that today, and we're going to have a look at what revival looks like how do we get a hold of this the first thing we need to understand is that revival involves the sovereignty of God it's it's a sovereign move of God in Acts chapter 2 verse 17 Peter is quoting from Joel chapter 2 and he says in the last days God says I will pour out my spirit upon all people I will See, any move of God is an act of the will of God. You know, you cannot force the hand of God to move. But you can move His hand if you are moved by Him and moved by His Word to fulfill the conditions that set the stage for Him to move. You might have heard that some people say God is getting ready to move. Have you heard that? It kind of sounds like a cool thing to say. But the reality is God is always ready to move. In fact, God is always moving. And he's moving in varying degrees in different places. And he's about to move big time because it's his will. It's his sovereign plan for the church and for the world in these days. Heaven is about to invade earth. And you are going to be experiencing. It. It's going to be great because the earth, as you might have noticed, is groaning. The earth is beginning to cry out. The church is also getting with the program and starting to cry out for God to move again. And it's very exciting to see what is about to happen. And it's like God is looking for those who are preparing a, one, a runway. 
for him to come and land this revival baby. You know what I'm saying? If, if you were the pilot of a 777 Dreamliner and you were coming to a city and you were going to land in a city, you would be looking for a runway. You'd be looking for lights flashing on that runway. And I'm wondering this morning, how many people here want to be flashing lights on the runway of the Holy Spirit as he comes and brings revival to the church again? Amen? Pretty exciting, hey? Not only is it his will, but it will happen in his time. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, see it wasn't just a specific day, it was a precise moment. In chapter 2 verse 2 it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. When revival broke out, it didn't come gradually, it didn't come gently, it didn't come subtly. No, it was instantaneous and overwhelming. God is into shock and awe, ladies and gentlemen. Get ready for it. You know, when revival breaks out, you don't have to have a debate with other people whether or not you've had revival. When you have revival, there's no question. There's no debating it. People know that God is going to do it, and He's going to do it really really soon. Amen. It's going to be the same way today. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, For God says, at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now, and today is the day of salvation. Hallelujah. Today is the day of salvation. Revival is imminent, and it will be awesome. Did I tell you how many souls we saw saved in Kenya this year? 198,000 souls. Isn't that amazing? We were going for 200,000. We got jammed out of the schools in the last town, and it was frustrating. It was like, ah, just wanted to see 200,000. But since June 2021, we've seen 355,000 salvations. I mean, you can't tell me God is not doing something extraordinary in these days, right? This is harvest time. This is revival time. The second thing, the second characteristic of revival, and this is part of our responsibility, is urgent, persistent prayer. Urgent, persistent prayer. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, when Jesus ascended, he'd sent the disciples back to Jerusalem, and he told them to wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high. And the Bible says, Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They were all joined together constantly in prayer. Constantly in prayer. In fact, the New King James Version says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. What is supplication? I'm glad you asked that question as well because... Prayer, while prayer can involve praise, thanksgiving, and making requests, supplication is a form of prayer, but there is always a request. You are always asking God, and it is usually done kneeling down or bending down, like making a humble petition or entreaty in the way that you might come before a king to appeal for your life. That is petition. And it's been said that 
This is the posture of revival. When we truly humble ourselves, when we truly acknowledge our desperate need of God and bow our hearts before Him, then God is inclined to break out in our midst. You've probably heard of the, of the Azusa Street Revival that broke out in 1906 in, in Los Angeles. In fact, there was an a, a Afro-American man by the name of Willie Seymour. He was blind in one eye. Um, quite funny, isn't it, that God caught his name was Willie Seymour. But um, <laughs> he got invited. He'd been to Charles Parnham's School of the Supernatural in um, Houston, Texas. And then he was invited to Los Angeles to preach in a holiness church. And, I mean, he'd just been hearing all this about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And apparently someone had spoken in tongues for the first time in the 21st century, 20th century, whatever it was back then. And uh, it, was, it was so exciting. God invited to this church. So he preached on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And when he came back to preach in the evening service, he was going to be there supposedly for some time. But when he came back to preach in the evening service, they had chained the doors and padlocked the doors of the church uh, saying, we don't want you back, basically, because they were freaked out by the message on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So a few people who were hungry for the Holy Ghost went with him, and he was invited into a house on Bonnie Bray. Uh, there was about seven or eight people that got together, and they began to pray. They prayed seven or eight hours a day, and, and Willie Seymour called a fast for 10 days, and in the middle of the fast, the Holy Spirit broke out basically and they just got wiped out um, all of them began praying in tongues and God began to move in that place and then soon people came from everywhere to that house uh, to the point where the foundations of the house collapsed the balcony collapsed they started preaching up the balcony uh, to crowds that started gathering outside so they needed to get a place so they found an old abandoned uh, Wesley uh, Episcopalian slash whatever church that had, had the top part had burnt down and been rebuilt into flats and the bottom part was a stable, an open stable, which they cleaned out all of the straw and, and the other bits and, uh, and put some, some boxes and some planks and set up a pulpit, which is just two wooden boxes. And there began the Azusa Street Revival. That was the Azusa Street Chapel. It seated about 300 people at a, at a, you know, comfortably, but they'd squish in like 600 people sometimes into that building. Uh, and, of course, there was always people on the outside of, as well. And it was just phenomenal how God moved. That was the Pentecostal revival that sparked modern-day Pentecost around the world, from which we now have 600, 600 million Pentecostals and Charismatics around the world. Basically, our roots are, are traced back to what God did in that small, humble place. And it's incredible because during that revival meeting, William Seymour spent most of the meetings on his knees behind those boxes with his head in the box praying that's all he did he just he just prayed god moved god broke out there were times where the holy spirit broke. i mean they sometimes saw a 50-foot flame above the building fire brigades coming and breaking into the building saying where's the fire and all that sometimes that flame connected with a fire coming down from heaven and the supernatural miracles breaking out in the house were phenomenal limbs growing back literally limbs growing back whole whole rows of wheelchair people getting healed and deaf people just awesome stories from from that place what God did but it, it said that when William Seymour stopped putting his head in the box it wasn't long after that that the revival in that place stopped it just it 
it sort of broke up and and uh, it's interesting the power of prayer you've probably heard of Charles Finney who they call him you know the the modern day leader of uh, modern revivalism the leader of modern revivalism even though he was a couple of hundred years ago but uh he, he used to do phenomenal, phenomenal revival meetings. And they say like 90% of his converts remained until the day that they died. They remained, remained in the Lord until the day that they died. But whenever he'd go, go to a place, prior to him coming, his, his intercessor, Father Daniel Nash, would go in for days, sometimes weeks before. And he would, he would get a hotel room and just go into that room, get on his face and cry out to God. And then he'd contact Finney and say, we're ready. And so the prayer went first, and then the breakout came. Uh, if you have a look at the history of the Pensacola Revival, in fact, I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Tonight, I'm going to share a message that I've been wanting to share for 20 years. I believe it's time. So, so come back tonight. It's going to be, it's going to be an, I, I wish I could preach it this morning, but I feel first I have to preach this one to set the stage. And, uh, but tonight, uh, I know God's going to do something amazing. He's going to break out in a powerful, powerful way. So, so make sure you're here tonight. But the Pensacola uh, revival, John Kilpatrick just had such a, a passion to see God break out in revival that he turned their Sunday night meetings into prayer meetings. And for two years, they sought the Lord and cried out to God. And then the Holy Spirit came and broke out. I'm going to talk a little bit about it tonight. I might even talk a little bit about it later on because it's, it's interesting. I actually watched just over the last few days, I've watched again the very first meeting that happened in the Pensacola Revival. And uh, it's quite amazing. I've got some things I want to tell you about it because it's really encouraging me because uh, I know God's going to move, you know. And, and uh, look out. It's going to be great. Amen. But, uh, you know, some people would say if it's a sovereign move of God, then God will do it whether we ask Him to or not. No. Wrong theology. God is looking for men and women who will ask Him to do what He wills and wants to do. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, said God does nothing but in answer to prayer. That does not mean he can't do it. It just means that he won't do it. Obviously, you know, God created the, the, the world and everything without prayer. There wasn't someone praying because there was nobody existed back then. But uh, everything that God created had within it the seed necessary to procreate. Since the beginning, every generation of plant, animal, and humanity brings forth the next generation. So it becomes our responsibility. Every time a soul is saved in the kingdom of God, whether an individual or hundreds of thousands of people saved in mass meetings, whatever it might be, they all come into the kingdom because of the prayers. They're born into the kingdom because of the prayers of the saints. It might be a praying mum. How many people here had a praying mum? Give me a wave. Numbers of hands are going up. It's mums that have prayed us into the kingdom often. Uh, or it may be thousands of people, hundreds of people in a prayer meeting. But uh, it always, every move of God in history, their births have always been preceded by concentrated prevailing prayer. Amen. During the Great Awakening, when millions got saved in the U.S. and the United Kingdom, 
Prayer meetings were everywhere. In fact, they say that in the U.S., the sound of prayer could be heard for 2,000 miles. That's about 3,000 kilometers from New York south. Every town you went through, you heard prayer. Prayer was constantly going on somewhere throughout that time. There was times where up to 50,000 souls were getting saved a week in America. And at one time, you might have heard in, in uh, New York City, there was a prayer meeting where for weeks... 10,000 people gathered daily to pray. That sounds pretty cool. But when you have a look at the population of New York back then and the population of New York today, that's the equivalent of 200,000 people gathering daily to pray. How amazing is that? No wonder there was a great awakening that took place. No wonder God moved in the way that he moved. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So imagine if one man, one man's prayers can do a lot. Imagine what a hundred people praying in Bayside Church can do. When you cry out to God with everything. Imagine if all of the churches of Bayside got, of, of Harvey Bay got together and there was a thousand people regularly crying out to God. Imagine what God could do. Amen. Because the sad reality is, you know, over the last 20 years, the church has been maturing in different ways, but in other ways it has been stagnating, and in other ways we have lost a sense of the presence of God, and some of our Pentecostal distinctives in the church have gone, and, and uh, you know, we've got to look at why has the church struggled, particularly during the time of COVID when 30% of churches just disappeared, and stuff happened. Why has the church struggled through the years, and really we just got to have a look at the prayer meetings because a lot of churches don't have them anymore. That's the reality. I mean, I love coming to prayer meeting before the church, the presence of God in the prayer meeting out there was awesome, you know, and I love to do that whenever I preach in a church is to go into a prayer meeting before the service. Some churches don't even have that anymore. They don't have weekly prayer meetings. And you think, no wonder God's not moving the way that God wants to move. If we want God to move, we've got to cry out and ask God to move. Amen. And if you've ever been in a revival, i.e. Pensacola or some other place like that, you go to the prayer meetings in those places, you know, even, even in, um, in uh, Korea, where the, the prayer, it's just like the roaring of many waters. It's just, it's just thunderous, thunderous crying out to God. Amen. So that's, that's the part that we play. Another part that we play is unity. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one accord in one place. That's not talking about the first motor vehicle in the Bible, one accord. Uh, just in case you were wondering, because in the book of Judges, it actually says that Joshua's triumph was heard throughout the land. So uh, <laughs> there's actually 16 motor vehicles in the Bible. I can tell you them all later if you want to come and talk to me. There's some good ones there, but... Uh, they were together in one accord. They were together in unity. And uh, Psalm 133 says how good it is when brethren dwell together in unity. When we have one heart and one mind, when we're going after God for the same thing, God breaks out. In fact, what the Scripture says is that God will command a blessing. God doesn't just think about it. He doesn't just say, okay, if you twist my arm enough. No, it's just the very fact that we've come together in unity. God commands a blessing. And I believe God wants to command that blessing life forever. He wants to command that blessing revival in the church, in Australia, in Harvey Bay, in Bayside. Amen. 
The reason I showed you the, the crusade from Tanzania last year, that was a town called Mafinga. We did three, ta- three towns in Tanzania last year. That was the first one. And we had about 70 churches working together with us. And there was a, a beautiful unity amongst the pastors and a humility, even with the big bishops and everything. Because you know, some of them can be very proud people, but you've got beautiful, beautiful spirited people working together in unity and in harmony. And uh, God moved in a mighty way in that town. The third crusade we did that last year was in a place called Njombi, which was a bigger town, should have had a bigger crusade. When we arrived in the town, we had the pastor's dinner. There was about 54 pastors turned up. I was a bit disappointed. And, uh, and when I'm listening to the pastors telling us what churches they're from, I realized that some of the main denominations were not there. And, uh, and I'm tweaking my ears up. I had to talk to my coordinator, say, what's going on? We seem to be missing some of the big denominations. Oh, no, they're part of it. And I'm not seeing them. And so it turned out that some of the some of the people who were the chairman and the coordinator of the crusade had hijacked the crusade just for the Pentecostals. Now, that made me really angry because we normally work with all denominations. And we have Episcopalians, we have the Lutherans, we have the, the uh, everything, Anglicans, the whole lot. And some of the big denominations they didn't have in for different reasons. So we personally went, I said to my coordinator, we're going to go and we're going to meet with those bishops and personally invite them. Problem was, that was the Monday, the crusade started on the Wednesday, so they didn't get to really announce it to their churches as we would have liked them and get their churches involved, though some of their people still did come. We redeemed it a little bit, but the crusade was really probably only half of what it could be, or maybe less, because of disunity. And uh, we see the, the impact that can or can of that. So it's a good thing. The next thing we see in another characteristic of revival is the manifestations of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Then there appeared to them revived tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had told them that they were about to receive. This is the enduring power that he said they were going to get from heaven. And it wasn't just a nice little warm fuzzy. God, they had fire landing on their heads, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, that's different, right? And not only that, they were set ablaze. The place exploded. They erupted out of that building, out onto the streets, and just started shouting out the wonders of God. And they started shouting out in heavenly languages, not even knowing what they're saying. But the Holy Spirit was interpreting it in the ears of the people, and they were hearing the wonders of God. God was breaking out. People thought they'd gone nuts. They thought they were drunk. They'd lost all inhibition. That's what happens when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. You lose your inhibition. You lose those things that lock you up and tie you up and, and stop you being effective in your life. And uh, so, so God broke out in that place. The gifts of the Spirit began to manifest. Soon miracles began to break out. And for not, uh, Can I tell you one miracle that happened in this, in this trip in Africa? I'll just diverge here for a little bit because it was pretty awesome. It was in the town called, um, uh, the third one, what was it? Megori. Megori. And the problem with Megori, there were riots going. We were locked up in our hotel two days. 
the first day of the crusade, we couldn't have it. We had to have it the second. We started on Thursday instead of a Wednesday because of riots in the town. People getting shot. Everything was going on. And we couldn't come out of our hotel. But, uh, and we couldn't use the, the stadium. We had people threatening to burn down the stage if we were going to use the stadium we'd hired. And we ended up in another place. But uh, on, the, on the night that I was preaching on healing, there was a man in the meeting who had in... So this is in uh, about July early July, and there was a man who had had a stroke back in November. He had hypertension, and he had um, diabetes, bad diabetes, and he had had a stroke, ended up in hospital paralyzed from the stroke, and uh, not only was he paralyzed, but it affected his vision, it affected his speech, all of these things going on, and he'd come out of hospital still suffering. He'd been um, experiencing severe pain in his head, Severe pain in his chest and severe pain in his leg. And so he was in a bit of a mess. And as I do with everybody, when I'm praying for the people in the crowd, I don't go and lay hands on them. I just say, lay your hands on yourself, wherever you've got pain or wherever something's not functioning. Just put it on yourself. And uh, if you've got a lot of things going on or something that's affecting your whole body, just put your hand on your head. And he thought he had so much going on, he didn't know where to put his hand. So he just stuck his hand on his head. And as I started rebuking infirmity and praying for healing, I'm looking out in the crowd and I just see this guy go, poof backwards through the crowd onto the concrete it was a concrete uh, field that one and he just went boom over onto the field and soon he was up uh, a bit later he was up uh, looked like he was all good and he came up to testify and he came up on the platform to testify that because you know he didn't know what to do with his hand he put his hand on his head the power of God hit him and he said he was healed of everything Totally, he was he was jumping and dancing on the platform. No pain, no no symptoms of stroke, anything going on. And the amazing thing was, I was scheduled to preach in the church that he went to the next day. So I was back in his church, hearing him testify to his people. So I know it was a genuine miracle. He was he was saying everything that it, that he was struggled with and what they'd seen, and you know he'd been a. Uh, a, a, he was being trained up to become a, an associate pastor in the church. He was he couldn't even get up and preach anymore because it was struggling with his voice. And now here he was testifying to the church, and it was just awesome. So I just threw that in for nothing. God still does miracles today, and uh, you know when God breaks out, look out. You might just get a miracle. You might get a miracle this morning. So maybe that was for somebody. But uh, so God's God's moving, eh? This is the gifts of the Spirit that become. Pre- prevalent in in revival uh numa church down there in in uh, melbourne is has hundreds and hundreds of documented miracles that have happened since god broke out in their churches and so look out in their church so look out miracles are coming as well another aspect of revival is powerful preaching not only were all the christians out there proclaiming the wonderful works of god in, as I say, languages that were heard by everybody around the world, uh, amazing and perplexing the people. But we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter, who had denied Jesus, had cursed and backslidden just seven weeks ago, now filled with the Holy Spirit, he's up, standing up with the 11, the Bible says, he raised his voice and proceeded to preach a bold, confronting message to the same crowd of people who had just crucified their leader, Jesus. Here he is, 
giving them curry. I mean, he just gave it to them. He didn't hold anything back. That takes a little bit of internal fortitude, intestinal fortitude, isn't it? It's, it's, revival preaching is not nice, politically correct speeches. It's not feel-good, pamper-the-lamb pep talks. It's not, it's literally hardcore. It's say it like it is. It's say what needs to be said, not what you think the people want to hear. That's the difference between revival preaching and some of the preaching that's been going on around the world in these days. And some people will get offended when you start preaching revival messages. Galatians chapter 5 verse 11 tells us that the preaching of the cross is an offense. So you can expect it. If you think there's some other way of getting into heaven or some other way of doing it, you're probably going to get offended by the preaching of the, of the gospel and the preaching in revival. So you can either take offense or you can build offense. Because it will either put the, 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 the fire of God in you so that you don't end up in the fire. That's the whole thing. It's to stop you ending up in the fire. Jonathan Edwards, who was uh, a great revivalist, preacher, pastor during the Great Awakening, had a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he would read his sermons back in the day. He wasn't an animated preacher. He would read his sermons, but while he was preaching this message, people would be gripping the pews for fear that they would be dragged, that the floor was going to open up and they were going to be dragged straight through the floor into hell. That was the conviction that came upon them during that time. The awesomeness about revival is that there's an unusual sense of the presence and holiness of God, and it brings people to their knees. I experienced that in Pensacola. Uh, you know, when it came altar ministry time, Charity would sing the song called Mercy Seat. And as soon as the first part of that song started to play, there was like, it's hard to explain the, the feeling that came. It was this urgent mixture of, it almost felt like grief. Um, you just were compelled. You had to respond to God. And, and the church was just like, suddenly everyone's rushing the front. Everyone's rushing the altar. They're hitting their faces, going on their knees, crying out to God. It was an awe. The presence of God came in awe in the place. And it was just amazing to experience that. And uh, I know that's what's going to happen when full-blown revival really breaks out. It's not just a happy, clappy time. I mean, of course, it's going to be great celebration. There's great joy. I'll talk about that tonight as well. But uh, it's going to be... It's gonna be God is going to move on people's hearts and lives to get right with Him. And it's amazing. Amen. Because, um, yeah, I'll just throw in here, Maria Woodworth Edda, I don't know if you heard about her, but she was preaching and, and experiencing Pentecost before the Azusa Street Revival happened. And in her meetings, Phenomenal Miracles, you can get a book called uh, Diary of Signs and Wonders, 600 pages of miracles, where she would break out. And she, would, she, she, while she's preaching, walks off the platform into midair literally walked into midair, come back onto the platform without, because she's, she's in the spirit. She's not, in, and she times would be preaching and she'd freeze. And for two days, she'd be stuck like that. Halfway through a sentence, stuck like that. And the church just gets wiped out. The power of God comes in, people having trances and visions and dreams. She's off in heaven doing something. And then she comes back and continues that sentence. Like, it's like it was just hit a pause button. And then she continues it. 
It's just phenomenal stuff. But they would say that people would get slain in the spirit up to 50 miles away from her meetings. The presence of God breaking out. That'd be something else, wouldn't it? Imagine trying to come to church and you can't even get in the door. People are just falling, falling out on the way into the building. That's, that's when God moves. Stuff like that happens. It's pretty amazing. Then comes repentance. Not a word you hear a lot these days, repent. In fact, some people feel uncomfortable as soon as you, you bring up that word. And some people kind of feel a bit awkward and, and have got images of, you know, a, 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 so a saved drunk who has, um, you know, ragged clothes and he's got a sandwich board and he's out on the streets with a, you know, sandwich board, repent or perish. Uh, you know, those images, it's kind of... I heard of a um, reformed or saved interior decorator who had a sandwich board repaint or varnish uh, we won't go there but repent means to turn around it means to go in a different direction it's not just remorse it's turning from sin and turning to God uh, turning away from our way of doing things and lining ourselves up with God's way see in Acts 2 37 it says that Peter's words pierced their hearts they were cut to the heart and they said to him and to the other apostles brothers what should we do this is what you want to hear people say when you are preaching the gospel when you are preaching the word of God you want to hear the people saying what do we do what do we got to do what do we got to do to get right with God and that's exactly what happened they were lanced they were pierced they were they were impacted by the word of God in such a powerful way. They come under conviction. That is not to say condemnation. It's the kindness of God that leads us to conviction, to realize we need to change and then desire to change. And that's what repentance is all about, being compelled to change. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, and to those far away, all who have been all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued to preach for a long time. You get in trouble when you preach for more than half an hour in some churches these days. But he continued to preach for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Try putting that one liner on your social media and not offending somebody. All right? Look, repentance doesn't just have to do with sin. So don't kind of sit there going, I'm all right, Jack. This doesn't apply to me. Repentance has to do with alignment. It has to do with adjusting your course and getting in alignment with God. You may have heard the story of a U.S. destroyer that was going up the, the eastern Canada coast. And as they were going through the night, there was a light in the water in their course in front of them. So the captain got onto the radio and radioed ahead and said, this is the USS Wainwright. Uh, we are a destroyer and you are in our path. Adjust your course two degrees. And a response came back, adjust your course two degrees. 
so the captain gets back on. He says, you don't understand. This is the USS Wainwright. I am Captain George Austin. And we are a naval destroyer. We have the firepower to destroy a small city. Adjust your course two degrees. We're a lighthouse. Your call. <laughs> Sometimes pride, arrogance, not adjusting our course can cause us to have our lives shipwrecked. And you don't want to have your life shipwrecked. But when we come into alignment with God, we can literally see a breaking out of His Spirit. We can see a dam burst. We can see God move the way that we've wanted to see God move for years. This is the time. This is the day that God is about to do it. Maybe if I could have the musicians come, please. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Repent then and turn to God. Or turn or return to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. How many of you could do with a little bit of refreshing? I mean, the reality is the last few years have wiped out a lot of people. I mean, just kind of being exhausted, navigating our way through all the nonsense that's been going on and, and uh, the ups and the downs and everything like that. But uh, God is bringing refreshing to his church he's raising his church up again because I believe he's coming back soon and I'm going to be focusing a little bit on that tonight uh the the coming of the Lord is getting close anybody agree with me on that one it's getting closer and closer and so that's why he's bringing his church into revival and there's a ripple effect of revival and that is that it's not just in-house it goes out into the community it impacts the community the community gets get saved, they turn to the Lord, miracles happen, rapid church growth takes place. Acts chapter 2 verse 41, it says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Wow. And then it goes on from just local community to national transformation. And I'm not going to go into it, but you can go and look on the internet. You can find stories about places like Guatemala and, and uh, Cali, Colombia, and places where there was revival that took place that literally transformed the city and, and turned uh, places that were you know, massively run by drug cartels and everything like that, flipped them upside down, and the church that was oppressed came out and they just came huge, huge moves of God, massive numbers of people going into stadiums and experiencing uh, uh, God moving in a mighty, mighty way. Amen. Wow. What exciting days, eh? I am, I'm just so excited. It's a good, good day to be an evangelist. It's, it's exciting, you know, and uh, I know God's going to do some amazing things in our nation. And I tell you, as I say, I love this church, but of all the churches that I preach in around Australia, I reckon this has got to be one that's got to have a revival and a significant move of God in this house. And in a moment, we're going to just open this area up. I'm going to encourage you just to reach out to God. And I know God wants to move upon us. Some of you need a fresh encounter with the Lord and He wants to touch you. He wants to revive you and do something special in your lives. And we're going to open up this area in just a moment for that to happen. Maybe we could stand up to our feet right now because uh, I want you to get ready. I want you to get ready to encounter God. And, and you know, I've been talking today about repentance and repentance is not a dirty word. Ladies and gentlemen, repentance is a necessity. It is the very thing that enables us to connect with God. It's the very thing that, that 
helps us to be free from the sin in our lives and to embrace all that God has got for us. The penalty of sin is death. God's Word says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You heard about the power of the blood of Jesus today. You heard about it, that God has done it all on the cross 2,000 years ago with Jesus laying His life down. But we have to do something about it. Jesus came. He shed His blood that we might experience life forever. But we have to do something just like we have to take that soap and apply it to ourselves in order to be made clean. We've got to take the blood of Jesus. We've got to respond to the blood of Jesus. We've got to say yes to the blood of Jesus and be made clean from all our sins. And that's made available to every one of us here in this place today. And if you need to get right with God, maybe we could close our eyes, bow our heads just for a moment. If you want to take this opportunity this morning to get right with God. Look, He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. He has a great plan and purpose for your life. And when you say yes to the Lord and you receive the work that He's done on the cross, cleansing of your sin, you take Him by the hand, He starts to lead you on a plan and a purpose and a path that's amazing, that's exciting. And if you're here this morning wanting to get right with God, you're here this morning, you realize, I need to repent. I need to get in alignment. I need to get right with God. It may be for the very first time, or it may be that you kind of got out of alignment. You once have asked God to come into your life, but you got out of alignment. You're out of sync. You're out of step with God, and you want to get back into alignment. You want to say, hey, God, I want to surrender my life afresh to you this morning. Or we have our eyes closed while we have our heads bowed. If that's you today, you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to receive Him for the first time or come back to Him while we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Can you just give me a wave? Hold your hand up wherever you are in this place this morning. Yep. Oh, hands are going up all around the building. That's awesome. Wow. Fantastic. Many people are saying, yes, I want to get right with God. This is an exciting day to get onto the right side of the line. Let me say it's an exciting time to join the right team. That, that's the team, the victory team. That's the winning team. That's the team that's going to see Jesus come back. And it's just awesome to see many hands. Listen, we're going we're gonna to pray with you. We're going to pray for you today. If I could just do you, ask you to do one thing. Those of you who raised your hands, and there was many of you this morning, could you just quickly come? Begin to make your way forward. Uh, just come out the front here. We're going to pray with you. We're going to, those of you who raised your hands, quickly come now. Just quickly come. Come on, let's put our hands together as they begin to make their way forward. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. So wonderful. Wow. This is good. This is a good sign of a healthy church. Amen. A church that's having babies. Oh, it's healthy. Oh, it's good. Thank you, Jesus. Man. Woo. I tell you, there's nothing like leading people to Jesus. If you've never led anyone to Jesus, I want to encourage you to take this opportunity. These days in which we're living right now, reach out, start sharing your faith with people. Reach out, start telling other people about Jesus. Take every opportunity that you have. It doesn't mean you bash them with the Bible. Just share your story. Tell them about the love of God. Tell them what God's done for you. Because when you start telling people about Jesus, you'll realize something today. Many, many people's hearts are open. It's revival time. It's harvest time. It's easier to lead someone to Jesus now than it ever has been. It's just so exciting what God is doing. And you will have the joy. You will have the privilege of leading people to Jesus. And I've got to tell you, I love 
leading people. I mean, I love it when I'm leading thousands of people to Jesus in one meeting. That's pretty awesome. In fact, I get saved all over again when I do that. It's just overwhelming. But, um, you know, it's wonderful to lead a couple of dozen people to Jesus. It's wonderful just to lead one person to Jesus. That brings great joy to the Lord. It brings great joy to my heart as well. And we're going to pray for these ones here. And uh, if it's not too late, if you want to come and join them, by the way, if you want to say, hey, I want to get right with God, you quickly come on down here and uh, we'll pray for you as well. But why don't we stretch our hands towards these ones who are here at the front. And for those of you who are here, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to pray this prayer along with me. All right. Now, I want you to understand something. When you're praying this prayer, you've got a Heavenly Father who's not looking down at you frowning. You've got a Heavenly Father who's looking down at you with a smile right now. He is so thrilled that you have responded to His Word. It's his, As I said, it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. God has wooed you by His love today. He loves you so much. He's so for you. He's got such good plans for your life. And it's amazing. And so I want you to be encouraged. When you're praying right now, you can lift up your head. You can stretch up your hands. And you can know that He's hearing you. And He's just going to touch you. He's going to come into your life. He's going to cleanse you. He's going to give you power and help you to walk in victory. Amen. So come on, we're going to pray this prayer together. And uh, I want us all to pray this prayer. Everyone who's down the front here, you pray this prayer with me in the congregation. If you also want to pray it, you pray it. But stretch out your hands towards these ones. Encourage them as we pray this prayer together. So come on, let's pray this in a loud voice. Father God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you have a good plan for my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Forgive me for my sin. And I turn from it today. I give you my life. Live in me. Help me to live for you. Help me fulfill the plan you have for me. Thank you for cleansing me and giving me a brand new start. I love you, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Come on, let's just stretch our hands towards these ones once more. We're going to pray for each one. Father, I thank you for each one this morning who has said yes to you. Father, I thank You that they have responded to Your amazing love. And I thank You, God, today that as they've opened up their heart to You, that You would give them a revelation of Your goodness, a revelation of Your love. Father, that they will come to understand who You really are, what Your character is really like, that they'll fall in love with You, that they'll run after You, that they'll serve You with all of their heart, with all of their soul. Father, that You would take them by the hand and lead them into Your good plan and purpose for them, that each one would go on to fulfill the purpose for which they are created. Bless them all, Lord, we pray. Let them be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let them be filled to overflowing. Bless them, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Awesome. Let's put our hands together for these ones one more time. Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. 
If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.basochristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Basic Christian Church.